Hello, welcome to another episode of Club and Resort Talks. I'm Rob Thomas, Senior Editor with Club and Resort Business, and today we have a very special guest. He's one of only five people to have won the uh, Career Grand Slam. That narrows it down quite a bit. Uh, he's won more than 160 tournaments worldwide, including nine majors. Uh, as you can imagine, all this and so much more gets you in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Gary Player, Mr. Gary Player, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. Nice to be with you and your listeners. Fantastic. Hey, before we give, uh, begin, can you please tell us what you've been doing with your time during this uh, coronavirus pandemic? Well, Rob, I uh, was on my way to um, <clears throat> India and Abu Dhabi, and uh, we would, had designed a golf course in India. We were going to open it, and then I canceled that because I was very blessed to be awarded the uh, Medal of Freedom from President Trump. And so I thought I better not get locked down in India or Abu Dhabi. And I came over here and I was here for one day and they locked down here. Yeah. And so everything was postponed, but <clears throat> it came for my daughter because my grandson came from Spain. He went on his missionary for his church for two years. And as he got back and I got back here, so we were locked down here. But uh, my daughter has a beautiful forest here, beautiful. And our own gymnasium and thank goodness they've opened up golf courses, which I really think has been a smart thing to do. So I've been kept fortunately very busy. I study genetics and I've got a lot of phone calls, a lot of paperwork. So I'm very, very busy, Rob, fortunately. I feel my heart goes out to those that are not and that have had problems with this uh, pandemic. Yeah, certainly it's, it's, it's been very difficult for, uh, for many, many people, obviously. Yeah. Uh, glad that you're doing well. Thank you, Rob. Uh, you, you touched upon, uh, you and Annika uh, received the um, Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, have you actually, uh, you, the ceremony hasn't been held, held, held yet, right? Because of the lockdown? No, it was postponed. <clears throat> but I would like to say this, Rob. I really appreciate what President Trump has done to award me with this medal. Because freedom to me, I was denied freedom in South Africa as a young man. I did have a white man's privilege, so to speak. Wasn't as severe as the black people, unfortunately, for them. And uh, <clears throat> I did everything in my heart, in my mind and soul, to do things to get freedom for them. I sponsored black golfers to overseas and also to America. And I wore black and white pants to demonstrate against apartheid. <clears throat> St. Andrews in Scotland, I sponsored golf tournaments for black people in South Africa. And two things that really gave me great joy. When I first came to America in 1957, Charlie Sifford, I was playing in Los Angeles and I met him and he told me he was not allowed to play on the tour because he was black. And that really hurt me so much. I went to the PGA and I went to Charlie's home in um, home course in Cleveland. And uh, we became great friends. And then when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he asked a white South African, me, to induct him into the Hall of Fame. What an honor. And Lee Elder came to South Africa in the midst of apartheid. And he was uh, crucified here. And it went off extremely well. Our president, I didn't think he, I had to get permission. Isn't that terrible? And anyway, he gave permission for Lee Elder Kane, and it went off, and we did other venues. And so that gave me such joy. And what I would like to be remembered when I'm finished, not as a man who won 165 tournaments and 18 majors, I'd like to be remembered as a man that changed the lives of people. 
And we have changed the lives of thousands of people. We built schools in South Africa. We built aid centers in China. We built home for the homeless in London through sponsors like Berenberg. I've had great sponsors like Rolex and these people who've been unbelievable. But <clears throat> I really appreciate President Trump doing his homework because I'm certainly not, and you don't do these things for recognition, but it's in South Africa where I live, my government don't recognize and give me much credit for what the things I've tried to do, unfortunately. That's fantastic. Uh, obviously, you've gotten so many accolades across your career. I'm glad that uh, President Trump has recognized you for, for all you've done and all you continue to do. Well, you can imagine being a, a golfer for 70 years and a pro for almost 65 years, the accolades that I've received around the world but for my golfing prowess. But this is a profound to be given the Medal of Freedom in the greatest country of America, the world, the greatest country that ever existed. And, you know, freedom is such a very, very special thing. When you deny the freedom, you cherish it. And <clears throat> Martin Luther King and um, President Mandela, who I spent a lot of time with, we raised 20 million bucks plus minus for young black children. And I just loved him. I adored him. And when you see what they did for freedom, but unfortunately, Rob, freedom is dying. It's dying. And even in America, it's starting to diminish. And I just love the way President Trump, whether you like him or not, is your opinion and your choice. But what he loves freedom, and he'll do everything he can to maintain that. And remember, Rob, people like my brother went to war with America at the age of 17 from South Africa. My brother-in-law, future brother-in-law, was killed. They went to war for freedom. It's the most cherished thing in the world. The soldiers died in Normandy by the thousands. Imagine your 17-year-old son being shot down as he lands there. Dunkirk, I mean, you can go on and on and on what people have died for something that we're enjoying now. And people must stand up for freedom. Amen, Mr. Player. Hey, on a lighter note, uh, one of the trivia questions I often give people is uh, there are two green jackets that are not at currently being held at, at Augusta, correct? So I know where one is here in the Cleveland area at Canterbury Golf Club. I understand that you know where the other is? You know what happened? When I won Augusta for the first time, uh, you know, President Eisenhower and Bobby Jones and Clifford Robertson, it was just such a, a big thing in my career, being the first international player to win there. And uh, it was my second leg in the Grand Slam, which was so cherished. And I took the jacket home. I didn't know you're not allowed to take the jacket home. So Clifford Roberts phones me. He's a man of very few words. He says, Gary, have you taken that jacket back to South Africa? I said, yes, Mr. Roberts. He says, nobody ever takes that jacket off the ground here. So I thought very quickly and I said, well, Mr. Roberts, if you want it, come and get it. And he did see the, the lighter side of things. He says, just don't wear it around the house. Now, people wear the green jacket on television and everywhere. So change is the price of survival. And things do change in the world. I mean, you know, I often hear people say, well, he's a flip-flop as a politician. I'm very proud of people that flip-flop because I don't like people that keep the same ideas for the rest of their lives. I know things that I believed in when I was young and what I believed in two years ago, I don't believe in now. And it's for the intelligence of one's mind. As long as it's honest and decent, we must flip-flop. So uh, on your flip-flop, is, is, um, is your green jacket on display 
at the ranch or do you have it tucked away in a closet someplace? No, uh, my green jacket, uh, I think we, we brought it back here. <clears throat> we brought it back here. And then when we were allowed to send it, we sent it back by boat and it was actually, I think it was stolen. Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a sad ending. Yeah, that is, but it's, uh, they've got another one at the, at the club. <clears throat> All right, fantastic. Well, you know, you've got three of them, right? Got three of them, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, they, the old saying, when you finish second, only your wife and your dog know about it. But <laughs> I was second three times at Augusta, the top 10, 14 times, the most number of cuts, the most number of times to play in it. So Augusta has been a very special time for me and they run, uh, they run the best golf tournament in the world. I think the tournament that I uh, would like to win most in the world is the British Open because it's, you know, <clears throat> it's, it oozes with tradition and history. And it's the hardest tournament to win because you're fighting the weather elements. You can play at seven o'clock in the morning or you can be finishing at 10 at night. So you can imagine the variance in the weather. Tiger Woods shot something like 86 at Mirfield because he got the bad time of the, of the draw. So the British Open is a tournament that you, you have no time to feel sorry for yourself. You tee off and you say, I'm going to enjoy the adversity. And you know, on the fact, on the subject of adversity, the young people of America are, who have entitlement and live in the land of honey, they've got to be taught as young people, you're going to have to have adversity in your life and learn to face up to it and prepare yourself. Very important. Hey, that, very well said, obviously. Hey, my, my very first uh, golf tournament I watched with my grandfather was the 82 Masters. I think Craig Stadler won. Mm -hmm. uh, the very next year, the Skins game, 1983, was the first tournament that I physically put on my TV back home. And yeah. I believe that was your, uh, your win, right? Yes, correct. Yes. Oh, that was such a thrill to win that. Yeah. yeah I mean, you beat uh, Palmer, Nicholas, and Watson. So that's pretty good. That's that's right, and that was such a thrill, you know. Uh, the Skins was always very excited, and I won it again in Hawaii against Arnold and Jack, and uh, I think it was Tom Watson, I can't remember. Oh, it's Lee Trevino, and uh, it was really, uh, it was a great thrill. Oh, fantastic. Hey, uh, speaking of a thrill, I recently went to Branson, Missouri, I guess it's been a year ago now, and I played mountaintop. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? It's a 14-hole golf course begin with right part threes uh, yeah yes and it's uh, it's actually 12 holes 12 i'm sorry uh, and the thing is this that we wanted to introduce something new for johnny morris uh he has a lot of golf courses here tiger woods uh, nicholas Fazio. <clears throat> anyway golf has become too slow so we came to the conclusion to do a 12 hole golf course you can arrive with your wife <clears throat> two children whatever you have at breakfast hit a few balls and play the golf course and be out of there very quickly and spend the rest of the day with your family. Golf is too time consuming. We've got to speed up play, which is absolutely, we should play ready golf. Everybody should play ready golf. No honor, just if you're ready, play. So it, was, it served a very good purpose. And, it, and Johnny Morris, who is an amazing man, we noticed a sinkhole. And we kept opening that sinkhole and we found almost like Ephesus, almost a city of rock underneath there. And the golf course is right in between those rocks, as you saw. It, I mean, it's striking to, to walk through there. And there's one point where you're, you're walking on that bridge. Yes. Oh, man. I'll yes. tell you what, what 
And I love designing golf courses because I'm a, I'm a farmer and I understand the value of water. We're running out of water in the world very quickly. And fertilizer, how it can really destroy the ground if you use too much and the drainage uh, and planting the right grasses and the amount of water you use. So it's uh, very dear to me. And also one of the things that breaks my heart that I'm seeing happen in America now, these golf courses are cutting all their trees down and they're making a grave mistake. You've got a lot of city slickers that are, who live in cities making decisions about trees. A tree that's been there for 70 years, 70 years they cut down in 10 minutes. And I played a golf course yesterday, it was actually an Arnold Palmer golf course called Commonwealth here. And all these courses are cutting their trees down because they talk about flow of oxygen. This tree was, this course was tree line, front, back and sides. And the condition was phenomenal. If you're going to want extra oxygen, trim the trees up to a certain height so the wind can come through. Also light is important, but we are really going crazy. I, I, I tell you, it's a sin to cut all these trees down like that because it provides oxygen and trees are essential for our lives. Well, I was looking, speaking of Arnold Palmer, I played uh, one of his courses, which unfortunately has closed down now, Acacia here in the Cleveland area. And they had pictures of when it was built. And then when they had that big uh, tree growing, I think in the fifties and sixties, they were planting a lot of trees yes. and then they started clear cutting again. So it's kind of, is it cyclical or, or what's the case with the, with the trees right now? Design wise. I don't know, but uh, I've been to golf courses. I mean, of course, like uh, Aronimic, where I won the PGA, uh, and I'm a member there, and I just love the golf course. They've cut down so many trees, and so is Oakmont. Uh, you know, but Oakmont was always in fantastic condition. What more do you want than the condition? It was one of the best conditioned golf courses we played on the tour. I mean, you've got to, I tell you, it's a very serious thing what's happening, cutting all these trees down. I'm vehemently against it. Do you, do you have, speaking of design, do you have a, a, a specific design philosophy or is it just every, everything's different? I do. I don't like undulating greens. You see, I know that the weekend golfer is the heart of the game. The professionals are not important like the amateurs are. And they build golf courses today and the greens are too undulating. They put bunkers in front of the green so this little old lady and the member or the majority of members cannot carry the ball over the bunker and stop it. So they only had about five straight shots a day and all those five shots are in the bunker. And the other thing, I played a golf course up in New Jersey, was the most beautiful golf course I've ever seen, but the bunkers were unplayable. You've got to build bunkers that are playable for the members. And I can tell you, 50% of golf courses, new golf courses that I see now, the bunkers are basically unplayable for the members. So, and you've got to have wider fairways. People are, you know, people want to go out and enjoy themselves. They have enough pressure and the office, and, uh, and running your family affairs. You know, it's a lot of pressure on people today. So they go out to enjoy beauty, which you, then they're cutting the trees down. So the trees to me, are, to, when I see a beautiful tree, Rob, I look at that tree in awe, because that's between 60 and 100 years old. And that tree is providing oxygen, which keeps us alive. And they cut it down in 10 minutes. No, honestly, it's, uh, it's very distressing. Very, very distressing. And I went to, uh, I've been to a lot of golf courses lately up in this area, uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia. The golf courses have got tons of trees and the golf course is in great shape. It's in great shape. So if your course is not good, blame the green superintendent and the golf committee. Don't blame the trees. Yeah. 
Is there, you've designed golf courses across the world. You're still designing golf courses. Uh, is there an area that you haven't designed that you, you want to, like a bucket list? Uh, I would like to design a golf course in Russia because I'd like to see golf become more popular there. We've done quite a lot of golf courses in China where golf is really going ahead. President Xi of China is not a particular golf fan. He's closed a lot of golf courses down. Of course, he has a reason that we probably built without permission. But uh, golf design in China has come to a standstill at the moment. But uh, we have so, and golf plays a vital role for America and other countries. You, let's take America. How many people travel to America to play Cypress Point, if they can get on it, and Pebble Beach, and all these great golf courses? And so it brings in tourism millions and millions of dollars. And then you have all your wonderful young guys. And in the past, playing golf all over the world in all the tournaments. And there's a golf tournament every week in the world other than on particular holidays. So golf gets more publicity than any other sport in this country. And so golf plays a vital ambassadorial role. And you've always had presidents. You're lucky. You've always had presidents who've always played golf. And President Trump can really play. Let me tell you, he's the best presidential golfer that's ever lived. He can really play. So all this publicity that the number one man in the world gives as well, golf plays a very vital role. And blind, blind people play, people with no legs, people with one arm, and young people play, keeps them off the streets. And it's a game that lasts forever. Here I'm 84, I'm averaging 72 at my age. And uh, quite honestly, I make a little bit more money now than I made when I was world champion. There's no other sport you can have that. I won a tournament at 63 years old. So if you keep in shape and exercise hard, and this is one of my great wishes for this great country, the United States of America. And that's to get the children of this country to stay in good shape. America, you know, Winston Churchill gave one of the greatest sayings ever. Young people say to me, what have I got to do to become a champion? I said, I cannot tell you that. But this sums it up. They said to Winston Churchill, why are you so successful? He's the greatest leader maybe the world's ever known. Had more adversity than any leader probably. He said the height reached by great men were not attained by sudden flight, but while his opponents were sleeping, he was toiling upward in the night. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to outwork them, and you've got a chance. And what made America great? Family, faith, and hard work. And this is what we've got to instill in young people, because the young people in this country are very naive what's happening across the world. I found young Americans who are wonderful people know less about the world than Europeans and South Africans. When I was at school, I learned about the, the Great Lakes when I was nine years old. Okay. Most people think of South Africa, for example, as a jungle, and I mean, it's as modern as America. So, I mean, education is the light, and the young people, we've got to get the young people to be educated and to work hard. I mean, today, there's some universities you go to, if you're a conservative and you want to give a speech there, they shout you down and they break buildings and things like that. This is, this is not right. We've got to seek education and seek both sides and have respect for both sides. So, I mean, obviously 84 years old, you're still going strong, you're still going hard. Uh, I mean, you're, you are an example of, of hard work and where it can get you, correct? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, I'm 84 and I work, well, when the, this corona's been going hard, I still work hard, 
but when it's not on, I still travel and work as hard as when I was 25 because I eat properly. That's the very few, very few people uh, in the free world eat properly. 90% eat uh, junk. Yeah. And uh, so you've got to eat properly. It's like if you've got a good BMW car and you don't put in the right maintenance, that car's gone. So obesity is the biggest problem that America has today. It's increasing diabetes. There'll be 100 million diabetics in America in 50 years' time unless we find a better cure than insulin and we exercise and eat properly. So this is my great wish. If I can get through to people, people say, here's a guy, he's 84. He's strong. He's in shape. He works hard. Man, if we can get this, you see, it's what you go back to Churchill saying. You've got to, the height that great countries or the, the height that America reached, reached the number one and kept and kept to keep it there. That takes hard work. It's, America didn't become the greatest country in the world by luck. Luck is the residue of design. So we've got to design this. Our young students have got to stop drinking and smoking and taking weed at universities. They've got to exercise. They've got to be educated because watch out for China. Watch out. They don't do those kind of things in their universities. They don't allow it. So we've got to instill discipline and hard work and lots of love. Love is the greatest word that exists in our lives. But these are the things we've got to do. Yeah. Amen. I believe you 100%. Hey, is there, you've played, I, I, do you have a number of courses you've played? Do you know in your mind how many courses? <laughs> no, I've never been a man of great statistics, which is a shame. For example, I've played with every president of America or been in the White House or visited them since I've been here, which is almost 60 years. And uh, travel more miles than any human being ever and met all the royal, lot of the royal family, emirs in the Middle East, et cetera, et cetera. I never even had a picture taken. Elvis Presley, who requested to meet me, and I went down and met him in, in, in Los Angeles in Hollywood. I never even, I've got a nice picture of him, but I never even took photos. What a shame, what a collection I could have had, really. No kidding. Yeah. Is there, is there a golf course that you haven't played that you want to play? Uh, not really, not really. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of golf courses that I would like to play, but I, I can't think of one that I've been deprived of that I'm really a great desire to play. But I, I enjoy playing different golf courses. It's a nice challenge. Sure. What when you, when you play with amateurs? I imagine you played in a ton of pro ams. You play with a lot of, I mean, obviously the greatest golfers in the history of the world, but also some real hacks. What <laughs> is the number one mistake you're seeing? with guys like me, I'm a nine handicap. Uh, what are the guys, guys like me out there? What, what am I doing wrong more than anybody else? Is it, uh, are, we, are we not preparing correctly? Is the biggest fault you wrong? see in weekend golfers is they get to the top of the backswing and they hang back, they hang back. So the most important for a weekend golfer is get to the top, move your weight to the left, get your body to rotate, get the body onto the left side, don't hang back. You've got to finish on your right toe. If you finish on the toe, you make the dough. <laughs> if you hang back, you end up on the mat. So oh. get that weight across. That's the most important thing. And when putt, they've got to pick a dimple on the ball. Pick a dimple on the ball and see your putter hit that dimple and then look up. Unfortunately, they can't do that. They're too um, impatient, too eager to see where the ball's going. Now you watch Tiger Woods when he putts. What a putter. What a putter he is. Yeah. Well, I watched one of your instructional videos years and years ago, back when I was had a, a, a VCR. 
And uh, one of the things I saw you do was you stepped through yes. to demonstrate how to from what right to the left. Yes. But you yeah. also use the term, and I use it over and over and over again, paralysis of analysis, right? So <laughs> I just get out there. I kind of gorilla golf. I go out there. I, I see the ball. I hit the ball. Find it. Hit it again, right, until the round's over, and I enjoy it. Yes. Um, what, is, what are some of the paralysis of analysis you see? People are, like, overthinking? Well, look what happened to the greatest player in the world at the moment, Tiger Woods. Uh, he wins the U.S. Open by 15 shots. Not five, 15. He is on his way to winning at least, at least 22 majors. And the next week, he's having a lesson. And he never won another major for 11 years. If Tiger Woods never had another lesson, look, he had his problems, which everybody has their problems. That's life, you have problems. Yeah. If he had never changed and went to have a lesson, he would have won 22 majors. But he was seeking, he was trying to become better. So he had a bit of paralysis of analysis. And now he's given up, and then the other, and other guys teaching him, and he just got worse and worse. Now he's doing it himself, as I understand. But he's seeing the club so much better now, and his comeback at Augusta was phenomenal. Not only for the win, but he was there. His father was there when he won, and his children were there when he won. And the big thing that tournament did, besides the excitement that gave him, was people who are down and depressed saw this happening and he was down at one stage very 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 low and he comes back and he wins the coveted masters championship and people saw this and said man there's always light at the end of the tunnel so it gave them encouragement and people need there are lots of people with depression and depression is a lot of times in the mind happiness is a choice happiness you want to be happy be so and laughter, laughter. If people, if people have got to teach themselves to laugh. I'm a great giggler. I laugh and tease my grandchildren all the time. Laughter is one of the greatest medicines in the world, and it's free. And if I could say a begging plea to America, teach your children to eat properly. Don't let them become obese. Don't let them have all these things in your house. Don't bring the food into your house that puts on weight and makes them overweight. Because when you're a beast, you cannot do and work for your country and be productive like you should. And I tell you, with this corona, the people that are, a lot of people that are being affected are elderly people, people whose immune systems are not people, who are good enough people who are overweight. So you've got to stay in shape just for general living in the world. Very much, very much. Hey, uh, our audience is mainly um, private clubs. Uh, high-end public golf courses, resorts with a golf component. Yeah. Uh, how can they help us as an industry grow the game of golf? I know that's a big catchphrase, grow the game. What, what can golf clubs do to help this? Uh, definitely have junior programs. Uh, the youth of a nation are the trustees of posterity. We've got to get these clubs to go to schools and say, look, come out and hit a few balls on our range. When they hit that ball, I took my grandson yesterday, who's playing tennis uh, and soccer, and he was, didn't really like golf. Well, I took him with me, and he, he had a few shots that were unbelievable. Boy, he's so, he wants to go out again today. We got him hooked. We got him hooked. And the thing is, we've got to have golf explain it to these kids come and hit your balls on your range, because golf clubs, remember, 
there's a vacuum one day. To fill that vacuum of memberships is going to take future generations to do that. And so when these kids play and they love it, they're hooked forever. And this is a sport forever. There's no other sport like golf that can help you in your business. They should sit them down and say, this is going to help you in your business one day. Because people are very naive. The average person is very naive about golf. It can help you in your business, enable you to travel. It helps you. It's a great lesson. You've got to be on time. I was late once in 65 years as a pro. Two seconds late in Tampa, Florida. Two seconds. The guy came down the fairway and said, sorry, Gary, I've got a man called Joe T on the PGA to said, You were penalized two shots. I said, what for, Joe? He said, you were two seconds late. I said, come on, Joe. What do you mean two seconds? Took me back to the clock, and there it was, two seconds. Two-shot penalty. So golf is a great education. It's a phenomenal education. By traveling more than any human being ever, I'd like to sit down with a sophisticated student who's graduated and question him about the world. I'd beat him, I'd beat the living daylights out of him. And life and education and communication is so important. Yeah. Hey, I'll get you out on this one. Uh, this is kind of an odd question for someone like you because you are the type of person that is the answer to this question. But I'm gonna give you the question. What is your dream foursome? If you could play golf, one round of golf with that, it could be living, dead, golfer, non-golfer. Somebody's actually said Jesus in the past. So you can say whatever you want. Well, obviously Jesus would be number one. <laughs> but uh, in my time that I saw, well, Jesus is always living, but uh, who I experienced with. I'd like to see, I'd like to play with uh, Nelson Mandela. He went to jail for 20 years and had no, no, no um, hatred or revenge in his heart. Can you imagine for the white man? Can you imagine what sort of a human being, a son of God? And he believed what we in South Africa call Ubuntu. It's an South African black word, Ubuntu. That means bring people together, which Martin Luther King believed in extremely so. The second man I'd like to play is Mahatma Gandhi. He was an incredible human being. What he went through is unbelievable. Young people should read about Mahatma Gandhi. Then Mother Teresa, who gave her life to saving people. At the fourth, uh, I'd have to think very carefully, uh, people like Martin Luther King, uh, Billy Graham, they were all such wonderful people. But the fourth, I would say, without a question of a doubt, in fact, I put him at the top of my list, is Winston Churchill. So we'd have those four play, and we'd have uh, those six people just, you know, I could, I could play nine holes with three and nine holes with the other three. Yeah, well, the stories you cheer, huh? People who gave their lives, you see, people often say, what is the secret to longevity? I, I want to write a book on longevity. The first is you've got to eat half. You've got to eat half. Now, the less you eat, the longer you live. Eat half. Number two, you've got to walk double. Number three, you've got to laugh triple. And fourth, you've got to fill your life with unmeasured love. If you do that, think about it. If you write those four things down, they involve so many things. When you walk double, it means you've got to exercise. When you laugh three times as much, it makes you happy. So there's a lot. And then love, and love. You've got to have love and communication. You cannot have hatred in your heart. I'm seeing a lot of hatred in America at the moment, which just breaks my heart. The greatest country in the world, 
And I, when I'm see, seeing things happen now, I don't believe it when I see it on television. Well, you can't live a positive life if you're surrounded by negative people, correct? Yes, you've got to, have, you've got to be positive. There are two choices, to be happy or sad. It's amazing how many people choose sad. And the big thing is that if you live in America, you should go on your hands and knees every day just to realize how lucky you are to live here. Man, I'd like to take people, I, I see people talking about a future government must be socialistic. My goodness me, when you travel where I've been and you see what socialism has done to these countries, it's frightening. I've seen it with my own eyes. And Winston Churchill had a great, now look, America still has faults. Everybody admits that. Nobody does have faults in the world. But my goodness me, they've been a great Samaritan around the world. But Winston Churchill said, socialism is in two places. One in heaven, where they don't need it, and in hell, where they live with it every day. <laughs> thank you very That's a, a excellent quote to get us out on. Uh, Mr. Player, thank you very much for your time, and thank you for uh, joining us on Club and Resort Talks. I really enjoyed it, and uh, you're, you're a treat to talk to, and please enjoy the rest of your day and your weekend. Thank you, and God bless America. Uh, thank you very much, sir.